We're going to think this morning about glory because it's one of those words that I think is so tightly associated with Christmas. And if we were an interactive kind of people, or if we were a YF, I'd, I'd ask you, how many Christmas carols can you think of that contain the word glory? I'm not going to do something awkward and ask you to ask the person next to you, because that makes us uncomfortable. But have a little think for a moment of how many Christmas carols can you think of that contain the word glory? I'll give you my list. I'll be impressed. You can speak to me after if there's any that I've missed that you can remember. What about the chorus of angels we have heard on high? Those words that we love to sing, glory in excelsis deo, the word for glory. What about hark the herald angels sing begins, glory to the newborn king. Or verses two and three of O come all ye faithful, glory to God, all glory in the highest. And then Jesus to thee be all glory given. While shepherds watched, speaks of the glory that shone around this angel choir. And then it quotes their song. Joy to the world refers to the glories of his righteousness. And angels from the realms of glory includes it in its title. And of course at Christmas it refers most commonly to that interaction that is had with the shepherds. When, they, when the angels to the shepherds proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I think it's a word that we can't disassociate with Christmas. We sing about it all the time. But I wonder if we understand our songs. So what I want to do is take a little bit of time and explore, define and explain this word glory and look at why it is so important for us to understand about who God is but also what it means for Christmas and also how beautiful it is in the context of baptism. So we begin then with some facts. This word is found 300 times across the Bible, 130 of them in the New Testament, various words for the word glory. It's an important word, it's a frequent word. And the first thing we learn about glory that we see in the scriptures is that it is associated with an attribute or a characteristic. Specifically, God. Glorious, glory is a characteristic of God. It refers to his greatness. God is great. God is glorious. For example, God's glory filled the temple. God's glory appeared to the Israelites in the cloud by day and fire by night. We read 2 Chronicles 7. This is beautiful. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped. And they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The Old Testament frequently speaks of the glory of God in this way. But we also read it in the context of a person, Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. 
This word is to do with grandeur. This word is to do with a weightiness. It is to do with a heaviness. Something that is glorious. Something that possesses glory. Thank you. Um, Something that, that is weighty. Something that possesses glory. We can talk about that in terms of people. This is something that is heavyweight, not something that is lightweight. We might talk about somebody being somebody of stature and size in terms of a businessman or a politician as being a heavyweight. It doesn't give any reference to size, does it? But glory is that that, that leaves an impression. And when I think of that, I wonder if you can remember back to the days of Jurassic Park, not to actually the dinosaur days, but the, the film of Jurassic Park and that film in the, the scene in the film where the children are sitting in the car and those glasses of water sit there and they don't see anything and the water just shakes. Apparently it was done with a guitar string under it. But the, 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 this water shakes and then you hear the, you hear the book just like this. You hear that booming of this dinosaur coming. You can't see it. You can't see this dinosaur until that bit of meat comes flying and lands on the car. But you can't see this dinosaur but you can, you can see and you can hear what is coming. These children sat in this Land Rover, terrified, thinking, what on earth is going on? Why? Because that T-Rex was leaving an impression before it was seen. And I think there's a similarity with the presence of God. When God shows up, he leaves an impression. And today, that's what we'll see in baptism. We'll see two people being obedient to the call of Jesus as believers, acknowledging the glory of the Lord God revealed to us in Christ, testifying to God's glory, God's actions, the fact that what God does in his glory changes people. And even though God couldn't be seen by the naked eye, never to be represented by physical idols, his presence still had a weight or a glory. Sometimes the living God might use a physical form, the cloud, the flame, the wind. But even when he didn't, he was still as impressive. In the presence of God, you know that he is there. So we look at this word, glory, this attribute of God, this idea of something of weight and substance that gives praise and honor to somebody, here to God. This word is so often used in the Bible in the context of worship. Because it focuses us. When we come to glorify God, we proclaim with our lips that he is impressive. He is awesome. He is mighty. And he is glorious. From 1 Chronicles 16, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And a few verses later, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. And then we have those beautiful words, the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. God, who is like you? Who is glorious like you? And there's a couple of thoughts from the New Testament about glory. First thing is we fall vastly short of it. 
Romans 3.23, we fall short of the glory of God because the glory of God is utterly perfect, utterly flawless, and we are not. But the other thing is that our future is framed in terms of sharing God's glory. We read that in Romans 5, don't we? Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So I want to read our text that we come to. And because we've been in John's gospel all year, I deliberately didn't want to use John, but we're going to use John because it is so wonderful and perfectly frames this. John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. Famous words, great words, but they point so fabulously for us to the glory of God. From verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is going to be very brief. But something happened at the birth of the Lord Jesus that was so immensely powerful, so immensely marvelous and awesome that the only word that could possibly fit it is glorious. You see, those that would visit that stable, those that would visit the Lord Jesus, this baby, they didn't just come to see a baby, they saw glory. They saw something weighty and substantial, something of substance taking place in front of them. There was a God thing happening here, and it was glorious. Three things. The glory of Christmas is a surprising glory. Do you know, Christmas 2003, I stayed at my as a family we stayed at our cousin's house in Southampton went downstairs ripped open my first present a PlayStation 2 with the Incredibles it was the best Christmas I've had lots of nice ones since and especially with my wife and child but that Christmas that Christmas sorry uh, that Christmas was utterly marvellous it was fantastic as a nine-year-old boy I remember ripping open this and at the time it was just the best of the best and I'm sure you can all think of wonderful surprises that you've known at Christmas time and surprises are the essence of the Christmas story because this is such a surprising glory. The first, the opening of this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's utterly nothing expected about what Jesus did, about what God would do. For so many years, the prophets of God would promise this coming Messiah. But few expected, if any, what was actually about to come. Most of them thought there would be another David, there'd be another Moses, maybe even another Elijah. This great hero king, this greatest prophet, this mighty soldier hero. Because they assumed that the problem was political or educational or economic, but oh, they were so wrong. Because God tells us that the problem was spiritual and moral. You see, we didn't need a teacher or a social worker or a new king. But God said we needed a saviour. 
So this Messiah came in this surprising glory, not in the glory of power and splendor that would have so been expected, but in the glory of humiliation and sacrifice. And the biggest surprise of all is that God didn't send an angel. He didn't send this carefully chosen hero to do the work of the Messiah, but he came himself. I think the most striking and controversial truth of the gospel is that first God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. These words of John 1, 4, that the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do we get that? Do you know, I love Christmas. I love everything that comes with Christmas. I love all the fun and the festivities, but we can't move past that point in and of itself that God became man. And you see, the surprising glory doesn't end here in Bethlehem because Jesus was constantly throughout his 33 years of life surrounded by those who followed him and professed at least temporary allegiance to him if he would just perform another miracle, if he would just show some other display of glory before them. As the soldier would cry, if you were the son of God, come down from that cross, show us. Look at this guy, he claims to save others, but he can't even save himself. But here lies the other part of that surprise. Jesus came to lay down his life as a sacrifice. Finishing his work on the cross. It sounds unbelievable. It sounds foolish. And it is certainly surprising. But this is the glory of God we deal with. You see, John tells us as he writes his book, as I'm sure we know, we've been carefully going through it, John 2, this, the first of the signs, Jesus at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. We move in the second part of the book in chapter 12, really into the last week of Jesus' life in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You see, Jesus is all about glory. Jesus coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, it is all about his glory. It is a surprising glory. It is also a surpassing glory. You see, the glory and the impression of Christmas is utterly unique and unrivaled. You see, tonight at our carol service, we're thinking about the big picture. We're thinking about the very beginning. We're thinking about Christmas in the middle, and we're thinking about what, what followed that. There is nothing like Christmas. There is no story like this that has touched the hearts of many, despite religious um, beliefs, across the centuries. Great prophets and kings have come and gone, but none have come like this one. Verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible is clear, there is one God, not two, not three, not more. And that one God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. There is none like him. He is the one that the prophets would speak of. He is the one that we read of that John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And our text speaks of that surpassing glory, of that glory that is greater than things we would ever know. Because Christ is the creator. 
He took on the form of man and no one, absolutely no one, has ever or will ever surpass that. No Old Testament hero. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Elijah, no king, no ruler, no real or fictional character will ever come close to promising and doing what Jesus can do. Why? Because his glory, his impression, his impact surpasses any other living or dead. This is why the church prevails. This is why the church prevails, because of Christ and Christ alone. Do you know, I don't know if you've read that poem that does the rounds on Facebook every year, why Jesus is better than Santa. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a couple of lines I quite like in it. It just says, Santa lives at the North Pole. Jesus is everywhere. Santa rides on a sleigh. Jesus rides on the winds and walks on the water. Santa comes, but once a year, Jesus is an ever-present help. Santa fills your stockings with goodies. Jesus supplies all your needs. You have to wait in line to see Santa. Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Santa lets you sit on his lap. Jesus lets you rest in his arms. Santa puts gifts under your tree. Jesus became our gift and died on a tree. It is obvious there is no comparison. Jesus is better. He is even better than Santa Claus. You put his greatest seasonal rival in Santa Claus against him and oh, he cannot stand. Because the glory of Christmas is found in this surpassing glory of the birth that we come and we remember. We begin this journey to heaven when we come to recognize that Christ alone is God. That there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. We must be saved. The third thing. The surprising glory, the surpassing glory, and finally, the visible glory. Verse 18. This is possibly my favorite verse in all the scriptures. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made himself known. Here is the greatest and simplest truth of Christmas. The invisible God has made himself visible. What we could not know, he has shown us. You see, later as John opens First uh, John, the first three verses, they read this. And, and this is, I think, the thought that still captures John as he comes to write his letter. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This servant king, God himself, Christ Jesus, has made himself known. He took on the form of a man. And he showed us what God is like. Not so much in his outward appearance, but in his inward character. His teaching, his miracles, his life, his never-ending grace. The glory of God made visible. The writer of the Hebrews would write, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I won't read it, but Colossians 1 as well gives us just this most wonderful picture of this 
awesome and glorious God made known. You see, what captures me with this, what captures me with the glory of God is that this is not some static event at Christmas. And I love the way that Paul goes on in Romans to, to talk of how our future is shaped by the glory of God. To read again, Romans 5, 2, through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. So friends, my simple question for you this morning, do you know the joy of the hope of the glory of God? Do you know it? Do you know the joy of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the joy deep within you that only he can bring? Friends, let us not miss this surprising, surpassing, visible glory of God in Christ Jesus at Christmas. We talk about glory a lot, but do you know the glory of God to be true? Have you given your life to follow the servant king? You have heard from and you will see visibly in the act of baptism two people who say, I do who will stand and say, I follow Jesus and I love him and I give my life to follow him. And they believe it that much that they're doing it in front of all of you. Friends, are you sure that one day you will stand face to face with the Lord Jesus in glory? The author is there. It is found in Christ Jesus alone. Repent and believe. Turn to him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, though we will never fathom your glory, we will never understand how glorious you are. Lord, we are indebted to you for making your glory known to us in the Son, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That for a time you would forfeit the rights of heaven to come to earth as a baby. That you would live that sinless and perfect life. that you would teach and be tortured, that you would be loved and you would be hated, that you would go to that tree for me. Lord, I thank you that you are glorious. And I thank you that we don't speak of your glory in the past tense because we speak of a risen king. We speak of an alive God. We speak of a God who is as glorious today as before the foundations of the world were created as glorious as the day that you went to that cross. Lord, we are indebted to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we might now know the glory of Christ and spend eternity with you through faith. Amen.